We're going blue and red today on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. That's right. We have our old friend, the you know, the original, may actually the original major, one of the, my favorite shows that inspired me was I always wanted to talk to Mark Lean, Greg. That's right. And he was you one of our back, first, first yeah. guests back at the IES show. And we started. No DLC show at the DLC, sorry, DLC show. DLC. And we're like, yeah. oh man, do you think he'll sit down and talk to us? He's, he come on, go talk to him, Greg, go talk to him. It's Mark Lee. There he is over there. Go, go, go see if he'll come on the show I with us. grabbed him and set him down and we had a good discussion. Boom. Yeah. And now he's been on the show four times, man. And Mark, what an honor to speak with you, man. Always. IES is industry relations manager. Just always a great time talking to you and always learning so much. So thanks to Mark Lee and for everything at the IES, all those people down there, what they're doing. But before we get into the conversation, we're going back to the original energy focused, energyfocus.com, the flicker free original, Greg. That's right. Now they've got something unique that they didn't have before. It's a brand new product. I'm excited about it. I actually sat through a demo of it and I like what it has. Ooh. So a lot of people are talking about, you know, they want to control their lighting, they want to do dimming and color tuning potentially. Okay, you look at an office building and you say, Okay, this is going to get expensive. We're going to have to get all new fixtures, all new controls, all new uh, dimmers, everything that goes along with it. But what does Energy Focus do? It comes with a in- nice in-between, a retrofit to make this happen in an LED tube. They, they have LED tubes now that are from their N-Focus lighting control platform that are color tuning and dimmable. And there's no 0 to 10 volt line or 0 to 10 volt dimming to run or anything like that. It's right in the line voltage existing. So you bypass the ballast, you put in a flicker-free tube that is now color tuning and dimming, easily controllable from a wall switch that they have. And they have the tubes, they got everything you need. A nice, and the price is good. I'm not going to say the price. You're going to go to them and figure it out, but it's good. I just took my hat off to Energy Focus because that is the ticket, man. That's the way to do it. Come on, son. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Just get that tube in there and connect to it. Come on. What are you waiting for? Take out the ballast, put in the tube, and connect to it. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now you can sell something. Huh? So go to the original with coming out with the original control system that's going to work for the retrofit application. Energyfocus.com. That's an awesome product. Right now, you got uh, Mark Lean. I forgot. Ooh, that was such a good product, Greg. I didn't even, that's the first time I heard about that, actually. That's right. <laughs> That's uh, that sounds good to me, man. Uh, Mark Lean, whoo, on the Get a Grip Online podcast. Welcome back, Mark Lean. How's it going? Doing good, Michael. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Say hi to Greg Eric. Hey, Greg. Hey, Mark. Uh, welcome to the official Four Timers Club. I think you pointed out to us, right? It is. It's the Four Timers Club, but but you really um, you really disappointed me. Uh, when you told me that I had to do five before I got anything special. Yep, Mike, we got to f- come up with a five-timer five, five timer pin. So be ready for that. Mm, that's right. Ooh. Be like hey. the SNL five-timers club. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, something hit me. as I knew we wanted to do a talk with you, but uh, Michael and I have had, had a couple of recordings that we've done with futurists. And after I thought yeah. about it, I'm like, I'm like you're, the, you're the lighting futurist, aren't you? I, you know, I, I kind of fell into that role quite a while ago. Yeah, it was um, almost 20 years ago that I wrote something for one of the CEOs I was working for on the future of the industry. And there weren't a lot of people doing that. So from then on, um, 
Yeah, and that's been the most interesting part of the presentations that I do is to think about where we're headed. How were your predictions? But I'm, not the, I'm not the only one. You're not the only Actually, one. Um, you'd have to, yeah, I'd have to go back and dig through it. I don't go back through that stuff very often. Sure. Uh, but I, I think I think we're probably probably pretty good because a lot of this stuff, you can, it's easy to plot the trajectory of change. You know, here's where we were, here's where we are, start drawing lines, you can kind of see where we're headed. What's really difficult is the velocity of change. How quick is it going to change? Um, that's the difficult part. So I don't think it's hard for people to say where we're headed. Um, the trends are, are pretty conspicuous in, the, in a lot of areas. But to say how fast we're going to get there, that's where most people screw up. And it's easy to do. All right. And, you know, we followed up from a webinar you guys were doing, and I want to talk a little bit about that. But uh, you said a lot of that got put on hold or, or has changed now because of the COVID issue. Is that going to have a major impact on our industry? I, I know what the answer probably is, but give us your answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it will. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, nothing in the webinar got put on hold. I, all I had to do was rephrase the transformation of the industry because what's transforming the industry right now is the COVID-19 disease, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of the market drivers that we had, they're going to be drivers again. Not all of them, but some of them. The, so predicting the future, um, I don't know if you ever read through the looking glass by, uh, what is it, Lewis Carroll? Yeah, Alice, Alice in Wonderland, Alice through the looking glass? Yeah. Curious and, and curious? Yeah, do you remember the White Queen and the Magic Mirror? Mad Mirror, the Magic Mirror? Vague, vague, vaguely. Tell me a little more about it, Michael. Right, so I like it's, story. it's a... It's a um, sad sort of memory that only works backwards, right? And then Alice says to the queen, well, what do you mean? My, my memory only works one way. And she goes, what do you remember best? And she says, so oh, things that happen the week after next or something like that, right? And so it's interesting because a lot of science is coming out right now, and it's saying that the human brain is actually designed not not to remember anything, but only to predict the future. And so when the reason why, as you get older and older and wiser and wiser, the reason why people remember less is because they don't need to remember things as much. And so what happens is your brain becomes very good. Your brain becomes very good at, um, at knowing what's going to happen. And so in this industry, when, when they locked down the, the um, United States and Canada and all these Western nations, I told Greg Eric that this marks an epoch in our lives. Okay. And lighting and family or whatever you're, you're concerned with, there's going to be a pre-COVID and a post-COVID era. And I saw in your, um, in your uh, presentation that you also noted that, or one of the speakers that you were talking to noted you know, this was like 9-11 or the assassination of John F. Kennedy or the explosion of the Challenger, um, the Challenger uh, shuttle um, as a time when, you know, there's something happened and you're always going to remember what happened when that happened and what happened after. 
How much do you think, so to bring this back to lighting, how much do you think this is going to impact, if you're going to put on that remembering the future um, hat, how much do you think that this is going to disrupt the supply chain or the channel, so to speak? Well, if the information coming out of China is accurate, Wuhan is up and running again. So are most of the factories. Uh, if that's the case, then you only have the disruption of that interim period. And there wasn't, um, from what I've seen, uh, there hasn't been a lot of disruption to the supply chain yet. So if they're producing again, and if they're producing the same products, and that isn't the information that, that I think any of us know at this point coming out of China. Um, but if these factories are producing the same products, then the only interim is that shipping period um, and and maybe a little bit of catching up. Um, so I, I don't anticipate that as, as the major problem. I think we're going to lose some of our companies along the way. Um, but uh, at this point, I, I, I don't see the supply chain. But I'll tell you what, both of you guys are closer to the supply chain issues than I am. Um, you know, I've been in, the, in that world, but I'm not there now. So are you experiencing supply chain issues now that are significant? I'm, so, I'm experiencing 90% sales loss. So supply chain is not the issue specifically for me. The issue is a demand issue and that um, most of my distribution clients uh, would be restaurants, office buildings, places that are largely vacant right now. And not overly concerned with whether a light bulb is burned out. And then the other half yeah. of my business is um, would be uh, projects. And I think capital preservation is going to be one of the themes that comes out of this particular crisis, um, because just because there's so much more, so much uncertainty in relation to it. That's that's what I would have anticipated: more demand than supply at this point. Mm. Um, Greg? Yeah, I'm not seeing a real issue on the supply side. Sales are definitely down. I haven't figured out the percentage, but I think that's common across the place, um, across the industry. But yeah, I, I think it's going to, we need things to get, you know, I don't know what it's, when it gets back to normal, I think we'll get moving again. And I don't know when that is. So that's what we're trying to figure out is when, when the hell are we going to get back to normal? Do you have an answer for well, us, Mark? I, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to be the same normal. Um, uh, I'm I'm becoming increasingly pessimistic uh, about that. Um, there's so much uncertainty still, even though we're several months into this, um, as far as how um, widespread it is, and whether we're in danger of a second wave. Um, you know, right now with States reopening. I'm in North Carolina right now. In fact, I wish you could see the view I've got of the Blue Ridge Mountains. But just south of me, by an hour and a half, in South Carolina, they're reopening. Um, I think it's tomorrow. They're, they're going to reopen beaches. They're going to reopen hair cutting and bowling alleys. And people are going to interact again. And two weeks later, we'll know whether or not that was a good idea. Uh, but when you look back at 1918, which is the closest thing we have in terms of a pandemic to, to um, compare this to, 
The second wave was worse than the first. They got back. Everybody wanted to get back to normal, and they got back too fast. The second wave came through and hit them. Um, and it, it, I would hate to see that occur, uh, but if we get back too quickly, that's a consequence. And if, if we don't, then a lot more companies are going to go out of business. So there's not an upside to either of those. Well, I was going to ask that. Is, is there an upside? And if you look at the lighting industry, are there too many lighting companies right now? Is that a potential positive of this? Is that some of these companies that maybe don't belong in lighting are going to go away? Yeah, that's interesting. I, it seems as if there's a lot fewer players coming into our marketplace than there were, say, two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the question would be, are the ones that are currently in the marketplace um, going to survive. Um, and certainly the ones that are well-funded and have some unique product offering uh, will find investment investors to help them. Um, but there are some that uh, have not embraced the changes uh, that have occurred in our industry. They've stayed with the, with the mindset that, that corporate America has had toward incremental change. Uh, for the last decade or so, instead of a lot of blue sky projects and really innovative things, um, they tend to look at what's out there, tweak it a little, make it a little bit better, and that'll return a profit faster. So shareholders are happy with that kind of mentality when it works. Uh, I'm not confident that that mentality will continue to work for us, as particularly as demonetization has brought the prices of LEDs down. Um, I, I think it's time for some significant change in innovation. Companies that don't do that, um, you know, as Chris Brown says, uh, you know, they, they, a lot of them are out of business. They just don't know it. Are we into a period of inflation um, in, within the lighting business? And we, the reason why I ask that is because for a long time, prices have been falling in lighting. And the, um, you know, the cost of uh, an LED tube, say, or a luminaire has just plummeted. And I think there's in your in your um, in your presentation, there was the note of a backlash against foreign manufacturing um, was listed that uh, perhaps, you know, uh, the uh, America is going to turn inward a little bit in terms of its preferences. And and then on top of that. Um, are we going to see, because of some of the shocks and because of the maybe some recession in construction and so on, are we going to see the now the bottom and perhaps an increase in prices in the lighting business? Well, in terms of LEDs, which pretty much is the lighting business right now as far as sources go, um, I think they've bottomed out. Uh, there's not a lot of room left with the complexity of that technology to bring the price down much lower. Uh, I made my weekly trek to the grocery store today, and I went by an aisle that had four-lamp LED packages. Their regular price is $6.98 for four of them. So we're down in the level of compact fluorescence, um, and the technology is significantly more advanced. Um, I, I don't see that price dropping further. 
In terms of inflation, what do you see, Michael, that might turn this around so that margins could increase? Well, I think if you see an exodus of competition in a shrieking market, so people can grow when markets shrink. Um, what it tends to do is um, thin the herd so that the, the strong survive and grow. And generally what you see is as if you see an exodus or you see a, uh, in, in, you know, a macroeconomic to microeconomic, so from the larger economy down to our industry, down to individual distributors in that, you're going to see that people that are, have, do not have deep roots in lighting will likely exit lighting because that generally when they're, they don't have deep roots, it means they're not diversified. They're probably only related to what I would call rebate chasers. They are um, in the business uh, to make a quick buck and get out. And while I'm quite happy to make a quick buck or a slow buck, um, the I like the bucks. But the by the same token, I think that you know we I've been in my dad started this company 42 years ago, and uh, there's we have deep roots in lighting, and so I think that. You know, I think you're going to see an increase in pricing. I think you're going to see a significant increase in leg the cost of legacy supply items, which will further drive the adoption of LEDs. I think you're going to see a lot of prices rise on things like F32 T8, uh, F40 T12, um, uh, oh. two lamp ballasts. I think you're going to see the legacy products really rise in price cost. I'm not sure about the LEDs. I think maybe the LEDs will stabilize. Maybe people will be sitting on a lot of stock and be hungry to sell it for a period of a year, two, three years. And then I think eventually, as you see manufacturing return to the United States, depending on how automated they can get it, that will determine what the price to the distributor and the price to the end user ends up being. So I think, in my opinion, I think you're going to see the pricing of LEDs stabilize, perhaps fall a little bit more in the short term but slowly begin to rise. Um, and I think you're going to see a massive increase in the price of legacy lamps and, and ballasts. I think it's going to go up substantially. But the market is going to shrink concurrent with that price increase on the legacy products. I, I, I don't differ with that at all. Um, it just will be less and less a significant percentage of the products sold with those legacy products. The, the lamp companies call that harvesting the golden tail. <laughs> um, <that's, laughs> it, Just name it, the podcast. <laughs> well, good. Um, the highest profit when LEDs came into the marketplace and those legacy products were made by fewer and fewer people, even a few years ago, Michael, the, the legacy products were the ones that they had commoditized the production of. And those are the ones that were yielding the higher profits, even when LEDs were selling for four or five dollars a lamp. Um, so I, I think that's that's perfectly valid. Um, but the primary source being LEDs, it's going to be difficult to turn that back around again. Uh, and I think if you if you compare it to compact fluorescence, where you end up with um, just a handful of suppliers that can can compete at these price ranges. And these suppliers are not the major companies that we think of in lighting, right? These are primarily Chinese companies that are able to, to do low-cost manufacturing in mass, so like we had with compact fluorescence, and then they private label those for the brands we know and love, right? And a lot of them are the same lamps in those boxes. Some are to different specs. But 
those companies, they're going to continue to crank these products out. And consumers have found with LEDs a level of performance and price that they seem to be accepting right now. So I don't, I don't see that driving up anytime soon. Do you think this is, I, I'm not going to tell you what I think, but do you think this is going to be, uh, do you think the uh, addressable Bluetooth mesh offering, do you think that this situation is going to increase the adoption of smart or addressable lighting systems? Or do you think that that's going to get canned into the bin? No, I think it'll be one of the viable protocols as we move forward. Uh, I don't think it's going to be put in the bin. Um, it's certainly um, achieved levels of performance with Bluetooth mesh that we didn't anticipate initially. With I think, sorry to oh. jump in, but Michael, aren't you talking more yeah. in general, like broad yeah. smart lighting? Like yeah, like, a whole. I, like you know, I, I, I think that I, I'm not asking whether one technology is going to win or lose. What I'm asking is, is like, I, I felt, I've always felt that controls have been the golden, the, what do you call it? The holy grail of lighting. Three And, and three times in my career, I've seen... Two times I've seen a control boom-bust cycle happen. The first one was when I first started with the introduction of passive infrared and different Leviton programmable switches with microchips in them that you could really program significantly. And then there was like around 2010, there was like the Encilium crowd where you could plug in a sensor to a fixture. And now we're kind of into the PoE Bluetooth mesh era. The first two eras of lighting controls in my careers were complete busts. They just, there wasn't that much stuff sold. Um, most lighting, um, lighting control systems out there are not really used by the clients that have them that efficiently. Um, and you have so many different legacy systems out there that a lot of them are overridden. They're not used, like I said. And I, I think that COVID-19 is going to put a bust into smart lighting that um, simply because of the, ca the, the, the um, trend towards capital preservation and being very realistic about what it is that you need in your facility. So can we break this down a little bit? Are you talking, when you say facility, you're not talking resi, you're talking commercial application. Yes. Okay. So the push first, is resi for control. Um, it was really conspicuous at the uh, electronic, Consumer Electronics Show, which is a bit of a mis misnomer because the consumers aren't invited, right? But the companies that were there had control technologies um, and they were competing for who could control the most um, you know, diverse group of products. And lighting, of course, was presented generically, but it was included in all of these portfolios. And these were, for the most part, the large manufacturers. Um, uh, Signify was there, of course, but they were one of the few lighting companies. Most of the other control companies that were focusing on uh, smart resi uh, were companies like Samsung. Right? And they certainly have the ability to see that to a reality. It, it seems like for smart, there's two parallel tracks right now that are bringing us the innovation. And one is residential because there is a modest acceptance in residential, a little past the early adopter stage, but 
people that like that that um, automated tech, and lighting is just one more automated device. Um, so that's part of it. The other is smart cities, and that's where we see a, a, a commercial application that has a strong ROI incentive. Um, and lighting has to be the backbone of that uh, because of uh, the way that the poles are already spaced in all of our municipalities, right? We have the electrical connection there. Um, so both of those are pursuing different um, protocols and technologies and um, morphing of sensors, uh, the advancements that will lead to commercial, but I don't think we're going to see commercial embracing smart lighting for some time. And then you got to break that down further. I mean, retail, eh. industrial, well, warehouses and things, of course, there's a lot of it already, and there there could be more. What drives it all, and I'm not telling you guys anything different, is money, right? So there's got to be some type of of ROI involved for people to do this. What's really interested me about the controls lately is it's conspicuous that there's more of them, more different ways to control our devices. Certainly all of the AI stuff, you know, the, or the precursors of AI, like, um, you know, Amazon, I don't want to say her name because she'll turn on in the background here, but Amazon and, uh, and Google Home and, you know, and even Siri, um, they're all controlling lighting, right? So controls are taking off in a different area, but if the advancements aren't coming from the lighting industry. Uh, and you can see that with the progress report. If you look over the last decade, you would think there'd be this big spike in controls, but in fact, controls are falling off from the companies that are submitting to the to the progress committee, which is a couple hundred a year worldwide. That's, and these are companies who think they have something that's a significant advancement to the art and science of lighting, so they submit it to, to the progress report. But what we're seeing is that the innovation in controls is coming from the Samsungs and the Panasonics and the Sonys and those groups that are moving into this area. Um, it's not coming from our traditional lighting companies. And that's a difference, Michael. But I think they have to get, when they get the technology down for Resi, prices will come down. It's a matter of econ, you know, economy of scale. And they get it working for smart cities. A lot of that technology will translate into the commercial. And where there's an ROI story, then they'll embrace it. A couple other things. The last one. Yeah, a couple of things I want to ask you, Mark, your opinion on, and then we'll get into some more future things. But lighting trade shows are they going to go away? Yeah. God bless. Yeah. <laughs> prior to prior to this um, tragedy that we're in right now, it seemed as if there were too many. Because with LEDs, there was a need for us to roll out these products. They were coming out every six months, right? Major product introductions. The efficacy was increasing. Um, hell, even longevity was increasing. But that, that's turned around. We noticed a lot of the classes that have been held at different conferences that, that split the trade show with the educational aspect. Fundamentals wasn't as strong as it used to be. I've seen that at several events because people have that already, right? And the need for these trade shows, um, it's not as strong. 
So the big ones, the light fairs, I think they'll continue. They're, they have a networking aspect. They've got an education aspect and a trade show aspect. And there's a, you know, there's a gentleman in charge now that's taken over and he's, he's impressed me. He's got a grasp of where our industry is. I think shows like that are going to continue, but a lot of the smaller ones, um, it's going to be a problem. We're going to lose. Yeah, do you think they're going to look different than they did in the past? Are we going to be separated by plastic glass? Are we going to walk around in body suits? <laughs> what are we going to be doing? <laughs> Good God, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, when you figure that out, you let me know. Okay. <laughs> and I was just in the gro- grocery store today, and everybody looked like they were about to rob a stagecoach, you know? Right. They had their faces covered, a lot of bandanas and things. Um, yeah. I think, work. you know, this pandemic is going to leave – a lot of um, um, mental changes uh-huh. to people that have lost lost people that they care for, and uh, simple things like um, plexiglass barriers at checkout counters. I suspect some people are going to leave those up. Um, I think you know, having traveled to China quite a bit, they're, they've been wearing masks for a long time, mostly air pollution related, right? Um, but that's a culture that had accepted them. And I think we'll see some of that here too, just uh, an abundance of caution um, when we when we do get past it and we enter into whatever the next stage is. I wonder about it. Hey, this is all speculation here. Yeah, yeah, that's what your future is. You can do that. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. I wonder about <laughs> meetings as well or, or business, in general business meetings. Are people going to look at it and say, you know, I don't, need to travel and do this meeting any longer. I'm going to do it online because now I figured out how to do it in these last couple of months. Yeah. Um, I would suspect that companies like Zoom, uh-huh. um, particularly if they can get their security issues cleaned up, um, they're going to be stronger uh, coming out of this and there will be more use of those. I noticed a lot of new players coming into the market too, ones that I, I hadn't seen before. Um, there's something lost, however. Um, in-person contact, uh, it's it's has benefits that are difficult, if not impossible, to translate uh, to a uh, a digital remote medium. Um, education, I, I I mean, there's no doubt that if you teach somebody in a classroom, the teacher can command the classroom. You can look around, you can see who's not paying attention, right? You can hit the counter if you need to and get people's attention. Um, you can see who's drifting off mentally, who just isn't isn't grasping a concept, they're struggling with it, and you can bring them, you can reel them back in and pay some personal attention to people. Uh, you, can, you can't do that to the degree that you can in person in a digital medium. It's better than a phone call to be able to see people. Um, but it's not a replacement. Uh, and I think that'll be true of relationships. And I'd like to know what you guys think. You've got relationships with people. You go out to the nailed conferences. You see these folks every year. Um, is there a value in that? Well, I'll tell you, know, I think seeing we, them on a screen. I think, I think we can look to psychology and I'll, and I'll give you a, uh, an example. So I teach a course to my people on communication, and I always started off, start communication off with, what's the most effective, meaningful way of communication? 
And most people don't get the answer right. Okay. The, the, the way the naked apes, humans, we humans communicate best is through touch or lack of touch. So the, or how you touch. So that's a very, very powerful mechanism for communication. So for example, I don't touch any of the women in my office. That's a form of communication. That's communicating safety to them. That's communicating to them that um, I understand the appropriate boundaries of this relationship. When I see Greg, I shake his hand and we, we press hands together and we look each other in the eye. And then so there's, there's, there's touch or lack of touch or how to touch. So, for example, if your wife tells you she loves you, Mark, but she won't touch you, which are you going to believe, right? So touch yeah. is very powerful, Next message. right? And so then after that is smell. And you may think it's crazy, but humans are smelling each other all the time, okay? It's, it's actually very important, okay? The third is then physical kinesics. So once you start to get into physical kinesics, you can get a little bit of body language and facial expression through Zoom or through Google Hangouts or vMix or whatever the different software you're using. But there is something significantly lost when we're not able to not touch each other. Does that make sense? Like the well, fact that- not only that makes sense, there's, there's, a, there's a Nova series specifically on that. And right. they, they made it tangible in terms of cost. Um, if a retail person, when they're handing a package to the customer, brushes their hand, that customer will will produce a higher evaluation of their experience at that retailer, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, what you're talking about, I, I think it's it's perfectly perfectly valid. The smell part, pheromones, things like that. I, I don't doubt that some of that's happening at a metaphysical level, but I don't know that the science has flushed that out. Uh, but oh, yeah, I, sure I, it has. I concur. There's absolutely, no yeah. doubt it has. Um, it, absolutely, 100%. That all these things are one, proven to matter for sure in multiple studies. Okay, in terms of whether or how you feel about somebody. Um, now, how it translates directly into a light fair conference, I'm not exactly sure. But I'm telling you, the science is there for sure to prove that. Like, to give you an example about smell. Okay, so one of the things that has been coming out, and this is a lighting show, but I'm going to get really weird here. But one of the things that has a study that I read about, Mark, that was super interesting to me, was that women on the birth control pill, they actually lose their sense of smell. Okay, so they actually are un, like they have a different. So one of the ways that we find attraction to other people is liking the other person's scent. It's very powerful. Okay. But what they noticed was that a lot of women, when they came off the birth control pill, didn't like the smell of their husbands anymore. Now, isn't that interesting? It's that, that's interesting. Now, you can take that in any direction if you're a gender studies person or whatever. But smell matters, dude. It's really, really important. And let me ask you this final thing. If I can't touch you or shake your hand or not touch you, choose not to touch you, whatever it is that, we're, that goes on between us that we don't really know about on that metaphysical, spiritual level unconscious level say why why not just upload your consciousness to the internet what difference does it make to me then right like if mark lean is a real person or not right? like what difference does it make 
Like it may make a difference to you. You're not going to do a touring test. You're not going to do a touring <laughs> test on me now, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but you understand what I mean. Like, what difference does it make then if we if we don't have the potential to see one another, right? Not never mind the the actual seeing, but even the potential, right? If that's severely yeah. restricted in the new world, or now we're going to live in some uh, science fiction fiction novel. If we don't have the choice to touch or not touch, that changes a lot of things. And it, we're entering like a brave new world that humans have never existed in in the past. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe we're entering that world. I think there's an innate human need for it. We're a little bit off the subject of lighting here. Mm. Uh, however, um, uh, we're in a temporarily in an area where we're experiencing the absence of touch, at least um, for a lot of people, they're experiencing the absence of touch, ones that aren't with their families and such things. Uh, I suspect there'll be some information from that. I don't doubt that we'll, we'll walk away from that aspect of it somewhat better informed on the impact that it has. There's been a lot of conversation during this um, pandemic about uh, depression and uh, people that are isolated and what it's doing to their uh, mental state. And I think part of that probably can be attributed to what you're talking about in terms of, of human touch. All right, this well, is a subject people, people have talked about for a long time. It's a, heck, that's the name of a Bruce Springsteen album, as I recall. Human, human touch. touch. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get it back to lighting here a little bit uh -huh, and maybe take get away from COVID for a while. That's what your PowerPoint was really about. There's about 40 slides until it got into some of the COVID stuff. But what what can yep. we expect if we, if we ignore all that's going on? I know that's tough to do. But if we just focus on lighting, what are some of the new trends we might see out there in the next decade? Okay, but I don't know that we can eliminate COVID from the equation okay. because um, it it pushes the time frame out. For what's going to happen, Fair. Um, you know, it, it, we're going to go through a period of recovery before we go back to any sense of normalcy, um, and that recovery is going to be dependent on uh, whether we've um, uh, whether we've accurately assessed the ability to open up our businesses again. Okay. Uh, so let's let's consider 2022 as a turnaround year because the economics of next year aren't looking too good at this point. Uh -huh. uh, and of course that varies by, you know, what your, what your product is and such things. If you're doing hand sanitizer, maybe a different story. Uh, but in terms of lighting, 2022 looks at this point, like it could be a, a, a profitable turnaround period. Um, and 2021 is looking like recovery. So, um, the drivers we have now, um, I, I think many of those are going to kick in again. But what we witnessed prior to this pandemic was a lot of companies putting lighting into their portfolio and a lot of the major lighting companies spinning off parts of their business, selling outright parts of their business, changing the names of what they do, changing the very nature of what they do several times in some cases with large lighting companies because they're 
floundering and trying to figure out what they can do to be viable in the future. Um, and part of what's been a problem for the lighting industry is they really didn't have a plan for what happened when the profits fell out of the LED market. And it happened a lot sooner than they projected. It didn't happen sooner than, a, than many people projected. I mean, there was an exponential growth curve. And there are people who saw this coming, right? But at this point, there's no money left. There's no profit left in a lot of the LED products to redirect to research and development. So we don't see a lot of progress happening in that area. It, it's ripe for being added to another company's portfolio that is a bigger organization. So somebody like a Samsung or a Panasonic or an LG or a Sony or any of these players or Apple or Google, if you want to get into the internet companies, Smart City is going to be Verizon. The ones that are leading right now, um, they're going to assimilate lighting into their portfolios and it will be one of their options. Um, some of the major lighting companies are going to supply to them, at least initially, until this intermediation kicks in. Uh, but that's, that's how I'd see it. So we'll see more of those um, big companies that are able to take all of the electrical products and, um, and to control them more easily for an end user. Um, they're going to be the ones that succeed. It's not going to be the ones that have individual products. Is that a good thing? I'm sorry. Well, it depends on where your stock, uh, you know, investments are. Um, uh, I would feel some sense of loss. I think the lighting community, uh, in terms of the manufacturers that we've had, there's, there's a rich history with a lot of them. Many of them have been in this industry, you know, since its inception, going back 100 years or longer. Um, I'd hate to lose them. Um, but um, I hate to lose taxis, too, but look what Uber did to them. Right. Um, there, there are changes that occur that will impact our community. I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on a lighting designer, for example. Distributors are still going to have products to sell. Uh -huh. um, standards are still going to need to be written. Um, but manufacturers, it, it's a tough road right now. There's not a lot of extra profit there for them to reinvent them. Lighting manufacturers. I think you're you're painting a very realistic scenario, like kind of like a most likely scenario. But what's your worst case scenario, Markley? What would be worse? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think I. I have a place to go there. I think realistic. I think this is realistic. The scenario that's being painted. At least there's there's ways to substantiate the trend. Um, I, well, give me an example of what a worst case would be, Michael, because I'm struggling. Okay. So let's say, for example, that the escalation of hostilities between China and the U.S. continue at the pace they're at right now, because there's no sign that they're sh they're slowing. Um, and let's say the U.S. seeds Asia well, to well, China. Can I, can, I just, can I interrupt you just for a moment? Sure. I watch the news conferences, and our president says that he is friends, those are the terms he uses, with 
President Xi. Well, I would, I, but, and I think he needs to reassess who he's friends with because that guy's a dictator of a communist country. I don't think the United States should be friends with him. So that's a different argument. Okay. okay? So, All but right, I but think, I think, me. I think what's happening in what what might a, a realistic scenario in geopolitical terms is this: right now, the United States is for sure in a digital war with China. They're in a propaganda war with China, and they're in a ideological war with China. Those three things are all legit, whether the president says he's friends with him or not. Um, so those three, those three wars in quotations for those listening, are going on right now: ideological, digital, and um, and propaganda. Uh, so that's happening, and I think what's going to happen in the next ten to fifteen years is America is going to cede Asia to China. They're going to say, "Okay, you ha- you get to have Asia." And they're going to return to the Monroe Doctrine and along with strengthening NATO. So what's going to, what might happen, and this is something interesting for this business, is that the United States may withdraw its worldwide dominance and retreat to a Monroe Doctrine of the Western Hemisphere and say, this is our hemisphere, that's your hemisphere. And uh, they'll fight over Africa or something like that. But Europe will come with the United States. Brazil and South America will have to join the United States. The Navy will retreat back to protect North America. And manufacturing the manufacturing relationship will slowly erode with China over time. And you'll see Mexico and Ecuador and these places become low-cost component manufacturing hubs, feeding the United States and Canada and Europe with... Um, this is a realistic scenario I'm painting for you. And that will cause an increase in costs and it'll cause problems with supply chains and so on and so forth. I think that's a realistic scenario, in which case you'd see a massive increase in the price of LEDs. You would see, um, you know, a decrease in, in um, the ability to innovate. And that would be for a significant period of time. I, I don't think that's unrealistic to say, considering everything that's going on. Do you think that like that's a realistic scenario? And if you subtract China, like from the from the North American lighting business, you don't have much left. Um, it's an interesting scenario. Um, from my perspective, I don't think it's a realistic scenario, Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I enjoy a good debate. Uh, I think um, we have that ship has sailed. Uh, we can't close our borders to the other continents. Our businesses are functioning globally. Um, the globalization that's occurred in the last three decades, particularly in not just in the lighting community, but you think of business, think of a McDonald's or a Walmart. Um, they're not going to give up their businesses in these other countries. They could be nationalized if China chose to nationalize, but that's against their best interest. They need to keep their people employed and happy. At, or at least fed uh, and employed. Um, what's the time frame that you think your scenario could play out in? I think we're one more major pandemic away from that happening. So I think if you know if um, if there's another, uh, let's say let's say the worst case scenario from this pandemic. So they're talking about in Canada in eighteen months and stuff like that, a year of uh, no yeah. going back to normal business. That's going to be extremely painful, okay? And then let's say after that, another virus comes out of Wuhan again. 
And this one is twice as deadly as the last one. Um, hmm. I think all bets are off, Mark Lane. Well, um, th- these are what ifs. Yeah, but they're but they're not they're not outlandish what ifs. Not a lot of precedent for it, though, Michael. So then we need to redefine outlandish because there's just not a lot of precedent for what you're discussing. The, the size of, um, give me an example of a of a country the size of China that has opened its borders and its trade that then shut them down and went into a a, a complete isolation. The United States, 1919. After the and fall what happened after the, uh, the fall sure. apart of the League of Nations, and when the economies suffered, they eventually recovered and reopened. Yeah, and but that did. was three, three decades later, though. Yeah, this is this is true. But I I, I, w- I wouldn't be betting the farm on the scenario that you're portraying. But there's variables there that are out of our control that could make it happen. I mean, yeah. it's certainly not. You know, entirely science fiction. Um, uh, I there, there are so many more um, evident and relevant uh, concerns um, that I would put that one uh, pretty far down the list. But that's just my perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm I, I, we're also like I'm, I'm thinking about the lighting industry from a uh, in this sense. If you're listening to this from a macroeconomic perspective, that Without China, yeah. there isn't much of an industry. That's fair to, fair to say. Uh, it is. Now, that dynamic, however, was poised to shift when 3D printing disrupts the $10 trillion manufacturing industry, right? Because mm-hmm. that brings the market home again. Is that going to be legit? So Are we going one- to have 3D light, light fixtures, 3D printed light fixtures, light bulbs, light uh, sockets, whatever you want to say, everything? Well, we have, we have them. Will they be commodities and will they be accessible at scale? Um, I would think that we'll get back to that point. Uh, but there's, there's companies, Greg, that have um, printed LEDs, you know, that are several atoms thick and they, they can shoot out on a, uh, of an inkjet cartridge. Um, we have OLEDs that are um, printable at this point. Um, with with a 3D print. So the technology is expensive for that right now, um, but the printers themselves have come way down. So it's going to make that much more viable. Um, that'll be a, it won't happen right away that you're printing them in your garage, right? There'll probably be some companies like, uh, you know, 3D Kinkos that you could go to with the big equipment for a while. Um, but uh, <laughs> Um, that's not a stock tip, though, guys. And I got it. I keep looking at those hats, and I'm thinking I don't have a hat like that. Pretty you cool. Get your, this is a make nailed great again hat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got a blue like one too for you, Mark. We got a blue one for you, Democrats, right. Republicans right. in between. We got it all. Yeah, I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. Yeah. All right, Mark Lean. Um, yeah. So finish, finish and we don't have the IF hats. You know, it's a nonprofit. Do it. Do it. Hey, Mark, always a pleasure talking with you, man. I, I like the way you and I go to the, 
go to the precipice and look in every now and then and pull back and talk about light bulbs and go and look in the precipice again and go, ah! so it's always so much fun, man. And it's a real honor to speak with you and we appreciate your time. Well, thanks. Uh, I enjoy it guys. And you guys are doing a good service to the industry, doing the, uh, the podcast. You're extremely prolific. Um, uh, I'm, I'm constantly impressed by how many podcasts you guys have gotten. This is what 80, what? That you're at for this hundred and hundred and forty something now. Yeah, hundred and forty something. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Okay. See, there I go. I'm impressed again. All right. <laughs> there you go. So you know, it's, it's definitely our honor, and and we've had such it's it's been such a fun ride. Got to speak to so many wonderful people, and yeah, we'll figure out there something for the five pack. You and Randy Reed going for that five shot on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. So I'll tell you what. I think I I already blew it because I think I'm going to end up with a blue hat. <laughs> there you go but, Mark, okay. okay good thanks enough much. all right thanks Mark. all right thanks a lot guys yep. bye for now the original flicker free original flicker free original coming out with the original easy solution greg and focus is the original solution for the retrofit tube that's right a lighting control platform that allows you to dim and color tune through Ooh. a tube or a tube. Come on. Before this, it all had to be in a fixture. You had to buy a brand new fixture. Maybe your fixtures were nice. Maybe you like that fixture. You don't want to rip it down. You want to keep it, but you want it to be color tuning and dimming. This is the ticket. You can do it with their flicker-free tube. It gives you a Kelvin temperatures from 27K to 65K, 10-stage dimming. And the best part is you don't have to rewire the thing. You use the existing line voltage, go into the fixture, you put these tubes in, you get the flicker-free, you get the color tune, you get the dim. You get it all, and the price is great. I'm telling you, I saw it. Again, I'm not going to tell it to you, but it is good. It's a lot better than you'd expect and a lot less money than buying a brand new fixture. Man, that's got to be the way. You got to go to energyfocus.com right now and get focused, son, on the original. That's right. The original. Focus in. Get those Get those tubes in there. Get Take out those bypass tubes and put in these energy focus flicker-free bad boys. Mm-hmm. Now, not only can you get rid of those flickering nasties, you can... Give the customer color tuning. You can give them dimming. You can give them controllability. Go to energyfocus.com. And of course, members of NAILD, they had to kick the door down to get in, and they did, Greg. They did. Make it through. We don't let a lot of vendors in, but Energy Focus wouldn't stop. They kept calling us saying, we want to be members of NAIL. We got to get into NAIL. We like what you guys are doing. We want to be involved. Finally, we let them in. So they're in. Why aren't you in distributor? You got to join the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Come on, man. What are you waiting for? And of course, the IES, the kings of all of it. And Mark Lean, who's the industry relations manager at IES, just laid it all out for us, Greg. Thanks to him. Great discussion we had, as always. Wow. Mark, always a pleasure, man. You out there listening, this goes out to you. Cheers. Stay, stay dangerous, my friend. On the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. You are lost.